a few people from our church, my daughter, Karis, and in particular our um, youth leaders, Job and Bethany Hammond, were in Nepal last summer. And Job and Bethany plan on going back this summer leading a team as well. And obviously, maybe you've heard about the earthquake yesterday and the destruction that followed. And I think it's important for us to pray for uh, Nepal and those who are suffering. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, we are asking for mercy. Mercy today, right now. Some are still trapped. That in your mercy they would be found alive. We also pray for the mercy of the families and friends who have lost people. And for those who have been injured. And Lord, we know that before this event, the church was being increased in persecution. And I just ask that during this time of suffering, the church, your church, would come through with compassion, with truth, with love and mercy. That you would strengthen your church as they reach out to their neighbors who are suffering. And we ask that you would take this uh, event that has occurred and bring glory to yourself through it. And that you be very active in the lives and the hearts of the people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in January, I was asked to speak on campus for AAIV, which stands for Asian American InterVarsity, and they asked me to speak on the topic of stewardship. Are you familiar with that topic? Stewardship, if you want to, like a technical definition, is the responsible management of what has been entrusted to you. Specifically, they asked me to talk on stewardship in regards to one's calling, resources, and time. I had a good time there. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I liked getting into God's Word in that way. And I thought, I want to talk about that again, but with you. And I wanted to expand upon that idea because what we do at our church is we go through books of the Bible. We're going through 1 Samuel right now, the crown, 1 Samuel. But occasionally, I take a break. And very, very, very occasionally, I preach a topical message So for all of your future preachers, don't preach like this, but I'm going to do it this morning. I've been given a topic, and I've branched out beyond that, and I'm going to share it with you this morning for gratification and benefit. And usually, I'm exhorting and pushing you and kind of in your face and sometimes yelling at you. You can relax this morning. There won't be too much of that, a little bit. Just want to encourage you uh, in being a steward of your calling, a steward of your resources, and a steward of your time. So I start with a story, and the story uh, is a short story from J.R.R. Tolkien. He's the guy who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but I don't dare give an illustration from those stories because I do not understand those stories too well. But this is a story uh, of a different type uh, that has been retold many times before, by certain people, particularly Timothy Keller, and he's expanded upon it. And I'm going to see if you can follow this really short story. It's a fictional story, and it's called Leaf by Nigel. Nigel is a painter who likes to paint a variety of things, but specifically he had a vision of painting a huge tree. 
So at his house, he laid out a, a, a canvas that covered basically the whole wall, and it was so high that he had to get on a ladder to put his canvas up. And he had this vision of painting this tree, but in reality, he wasn't really good at painting limbs or a trunk. He was good at leaves. So he started with one leaf. But no matter how many days he spent on this huge canvas painting, uh, he could only crank out one leaf. And he was really into the details of painting this leaf. He would spend a, a, a lot of time on the shading and getting the dewdrops just right. So he's focused on that one leaf. He also didn't get a lot done because he was a compassionate and he had a merciful heart and his neighbor had some problems and needed his time. So he spent a lot of time taking care of his neighbor. Well, eventually, day after day, this goes on for years. And one night, Nigel gets really sick and he realizes it's his time to die. So he frantically starts working on his painting and, he, and he's sad and he's crying because he's unable to finish his painting. And he dies. And after his death, someone else buys his house. And they go into his house and they see this huge canvas. And on this enormous canvas is one leaf. And the couple who bought the home thought it was beautiful. So they took it and they placed it in the town museum. And it was noticed by a few people and it was called Leaf by Nigel. Now, Tolkien, in his imagination, has Nigel on a train headed for the mountains of the heavenly afterlife. And on the train, Nigel hears two voices. One of the voices is Justice, who accuses Nigel of not getting enough done and just wasting his time. Another voice he hears on the train is the voice of Mercy, who argues that Nigel sacrificed for others. That's why he could only crank out one leaf. And as his train approaches and arrives at the heavenly city, just outside of the heavenly city, there it is. It's his tree. It was the vision of the tree that he had in his mind. And while he was on this earth, he, he could only crank out one leaf for a few to enjoy. But here in the heavenly afterlife was his finished tree that he could enjoy forever. Now, let me connect that story to you. You likely have a big goal and a vision of what you want to accomplish in this life. Many of you want to be history makers. You want to make an impact, a big impact on this world. I hate to break it to you. Chances are, you're only going to crank out one leaf. That's okay. It's totally okay. We have a limited amount of time and resources while we're here on this earth, and you'll probably crank out one leaf, and it's okay. If you do that leaf for the honor and the glory to God, it, it doesn't matter how much you've done it. Your work is not in vain, and it will have this lasting impact. Your work will have a lasting impact that resounds throughout eternity if you did your work for the honor and glory of God. Because you're showing on this earth, by the way you do your work, on what it's like in eternity because you're bringing glory to God. 
I don't want to, I want to sound too cheesy this morning or, or sound too weird. I don't usually talk like this, but this is what I want to do. I want to encourage you this morning in painting your leaf. God has put this certain amount of giftings and calling and abilities, and he wants you to do it on this earth now that's going to have this resounding impact for glory. And the exhortation for you and for me is simple this morning. This is where we're going. Be faithful with your calling, your resources, and your time for the glory of God. God has given you a certain amount of giftings, your calling. He has given you money, your resources, and he's given us all this time that he wants us to steward, to manage well for his honor and for his glory. In order to cover this this morning, we're going to be looking at the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. Over this past year, I have been steeped in these two books. Maybe you are familiar with them, maybe not. They are letters written by the great Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was kind of his apostolic representative of sorts that would go to certain churches. And part of the reason why Paul wrote these two letters to Timothy is to encourage him to stay faithful, to keep going and going and going in his God-given calling. Be faithful. Timothy was a pastor elder of sorts, and he was in charge of training other pastors and elders. And Paul gives young Timothy a variety of encouragements and exhortations, but I want to highlight three with regard to calling, resources, and time. And I want you to think about your life. So let's start with the first one. Be faithful with your calling. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4.14. Paul says to Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The exact gift is not stated, but it probably has to do with ministry and preaching and teaching and and leading the church. This is a gift that was affirmed and acknowledged through prophecy, but also when the council of elders laid their hands on him, they confirmed and recognized his gifts. And Paul says that Timothy was not to neglect. He was not to waste his gifts through neglect. Notice what he says in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Practice these things. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Timothy was to continually use his gifts. He was to practice and immerse himself in them so the church may see his progress and growth. Now, along the same lines, Paul says something very similar in 2 Timothy, staying on Timothy. 2 Timothy, if you want to turn there, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Timothy was to fan into flame the ministry gifts that God has given him. He wasn't to let them blow out, but continue to use them for the benefit of the church and the glory of God. I don't think Paul would go as far to say, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. But he's saying, hey, you need to stay on top of your gifts, and you need to use them for the glory of God. What I want to do now is make two connections to you. 
And the first connection is easy. If you are a believer, every single one of you has been given a spiritual gift. God has equipped you and wired you in a certain way to use your gift within the body of Christ to serve and to be faithful with that gift. Maybe you don't know what your gift is. Maybe you're young in the faith. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying a few gifts on, and you're just starting out. But every single person here is spiritually gifted in some way. Perhaps it's teaching, leading. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality, bringing people into your home. Maybe you have the the gift of working behind the scenes, doing the work that none others see. Maybe you should be up here playing an instrument and singing and leading us in the worship of God. The point is, if you go to church here, you should be exercising your gift here. And if you're just getting started and you're not quite sure what your gift is, you just need to start serving. Everyone who goes here should be serving here. If you just come here on Sunday morning and sit here, you, you are hurting not only yourself, but you're hurting the church. There's some way that you could be serving. And we want to give everyone an opportunity to serve, and we don't want to be uh, dramatic, but there is a simple e- email. You can email the church. It's in the bulletin. And just tell us, hey, I want to serve. Hey, I want to just jump in. Put me where you want me, or I'll, be, I'll tear stuff down, and I'll move stuff. I'll, I'll greet people with an usher. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But email us. Let us know where you want to serve, or if you're just open to serve in a certain area, any area, just say, I'm open. Just email us. But we want everyone who goes here to serve here as being a steward of your gift, not neglecting your gift. Now, that's one connection I want to make, but I'm really going to branch out here. It's easy for you to understand the traditional notion of the calling of a pastor. You've heard people like me say, God has called me into the ministry. For the rest of you who do those secular jobs, you poor souls, you have not received a calling, but I have. And you know, it it elevates the pastor when we talk like that and you feel like a loser that God somehow has not spoken to you in the same way. But don't get too tripped up on this calling language. Don't get too tripped up on that. What we simply mean by calling is, is how has God wired you? What gifts has he put in you? What interests? What desires? And take that, mix them with the opportunities that you have and the responsibilities that you have in life, and you can put all that together, and it's not clean, but you can make that your calling. And some of you are called to be doctors and scientists and teachers or musicians, a nurse, a coach, a consultant, an artist, a parent, an administrator, a construction worker. Some of you are called to care for an ailing parent or spouse. And some of you are even called to be a pastor. But wherever your calling lies, it's, it's for the benefit of others, right? You're serving others and you're bringing glory to God. And many of you are, are students right now. You have a major and in your major, you have your eyes towards your future calling. But there is a possibility that while you've been in school, you have hit a snag. And if you were in midlife, anybody in midlife like me right now? Boy, these could be some miserable years, right? It's like you hit this snag, and some would say you actually have hit a wall. 
you thought you had it all figured out and you had so much energy and you're rolling and you're going and then you hit this wall and you hit this snag and I know that some of you are wondering, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Should I change my major? Should I change my job? Should I look for a new career? Should I go back to school and start all over again to pursue? And you're trying to sort these things out because your calling has hit a snag or you have hit a wall and you're confused and you're trying to reevaluate whether or not you should change course. I want to give you two resources that I have found very helpful and encouraging. And I want to encourage you to read. You know how to do that. Read. Let me give you two books. The first book is called uh, Start. It's by John Acuff. It's called Start. It's uh, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average, and Do Work That Matters. It's kind of a general book about maybe starting something again or starting new. But that book needs to be balanced, and a good balancing book is a book by Gordon T. Smith called Courage and Calling, Embracing Your God-Given Potential. You put those two good books together and it will help you think through of maybe you should make a shift. Maybe you should change your major. Maybe you should try something new. Maybe you have a different career path. Maybe there's a new direction that God may be leading you to go and you have to reevaluate what you're doing. Chances are that's probably just a handful of people in here. Just a few of you need to make such a change. But here's the deal. Not most of you. Most of you just need to keep going and to get a new vision, a fresh vision, maybe some fresh energy, to keep doing what you're doing in, yes, the same major, in the same career, the same role you have in life. Because I know you feel pressures to bail and try something else. I I get that. And I just want to be honest with you. I'm called to the ministry, right? I've been in full-time ministry for 18 years. How many times over the last 18 years have I considered quitting, just forgetting it's just way too hard, I can't do this anymore, I'm bailing out. How many times have I actually thought about that? I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Here we go. Probably about 40 to 50 times. Then that's probably low. Right? The pressure's on. I can't stand. I'm, I'm going to do something else. God, call me to do something else. Right? When the reality is, a lot of times, I just need to keep going, going, going. And I say to you, do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your calling. Yeah, things get hard. You will hit snacks. You will hit walls. But rather than making the shift, chances are, you need to go through the wall and keep going and be faithful for the way God has gifted you. Let's move on to the second one. Be faithful with your resources. This is a good one because there seems to be a misunderstanding and even a misuse of wealth within the church that Timothy was pastoring. A false teaching was floating around that godliness was a means to great financial gain. I would even go so far as to say this is probably the dominant theology. That's ah, probably too far. I might say it. One of the, no, I'm going to go ahead and say it. One of the dominant, errant, heretical theologies in the world is the health and wealth gospel. 
And you'd be surprised how much that dominates in America, South America, Africa, lots of places. And it goes kind of like this. If you're godly and you have enough faith, you're going to cash in. And that's kind of what's floating around here in the church. And Paul's like, not so fast. That is not true. And then Paul explains to Timothy to explain to the church in 1 Timothy 6 and 7, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of the world. And he goes on to say, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Godliness is not a means to great financial gain, but godliness mixed with contentment is the means to great spiritual gain and eternal perspective. And you better know this. You better know this, that we're not here to pursue riches. We're here to pursue the Lord, and we're content in him with whatever he chooses to give us, and we want our riches to bring him glory beyond this life, all right? So far, so good. But check this out. You will have money. I'm going to go far to say this. You are rich. As much as you complain and groan is that the only thing you can afford is Chipotle and you complain about you don't have clothes and you whine about your money, compared to the rest of the world, let's be honest, you're rich. You're rich. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty by telling you that. Just acknowledge that you have money. Not that might not be much as the person next to you, but compared to the worldly standards around the world, you're rich. Now, the issue is, what are you supposed to do with your resources? What are you supposed to do with what you have? How shall you steward those? Because you have a greater stewardship than someone that wouldn't have as much as you have and the greater opportunities you have. And even if you don't have a lot right now, you're really going to have a lot later. Chances are, once you get out of school. What do you do with your your money? Well, Paul instructs Timothy to instruct the church to exhort the rich in a certain way. I'm going to put it up for you. It's in 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 19. And he says this. As for the rich in this present age, that would be you, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches. So don't be proud because you could lose it. But set your focus on God, who richly provides us with everything in joy. Can you enjoy your money? Yes, enjoy it. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is very similar to when Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven and not on earth where where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Use your money for the kingdom of God. Leverage your resources and be generous. Most of you get paid to paint your leaf. Even if you're in college, you're going to be paid one day to paint your leaf and you'll be paid quite well. But as you are being paid and you're increasing in salary, it's not so that you can upgrade your life. Oh, I'm getting paid more. I I can get a better car. I means I can get a bigger house. I'm going to continue to upgrade my life as I get paid more and more and more. 
But the reality is, is you're making money, and part of that is, of course, to take care of your family, but it's also to leverage your resources for the kingdom of God. Leverage your resources for generosity. And I want to encourage you now to start thinking through and learning how you're going to be a good steward of leveraging your resources for the kingdom of God. Those of you who are older, you are great at this. You have developed a pattern where you're generous with your money. You're generous with the church. You're generous with the poor. You're generous with missions. You've learned how to leverage your resources. But most of us in here are young, and we're trying to figure out if we have money, even though it's a little bit, what are we supposed to do with it? And let me encourage you while you're in college right now trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with money in a way that is very little, but you can leverage for the kingdom of God, to think in three categories and to start develop a pattern of giving. Give to your church, give to missions, and give to poor. And I'm not going to put any stipulations or percentages or anything like that, but to start to develop a pattern of giving to your church, to missions, and the poor, even when you're young. I remember when I was saved, I was saved at 19, I was saved in college. I'm like, what am I supposed to do now that I'm saved? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I got a little bit of money. It's not much. What am I supposed to get? I start, okay, give to your church, figure out what has to do with missions. And for me, the poor was just sponsoring a world vision child. I'm just learning, trying to figure things out. Start the pattern while you're young, levering your resources for the kingdom of God and being generous And watch how this carries throughout your life. Because I would say the 60-year-old who is very generous likely developed that pattern over their lives. Let me encourage you to do the same while you're young, to be a good steward of what God has given you. He's not giving you all this dough just so you could upgrade your lifestyle, but to leverage for his kingdom. Which brings us to the last issue we want to steward, and that is time. Just for the record, we all have the same amount of hours in a day. Do we agree? Maybe not. Okay. I think we do. We all have the time, same amount of time in the day. What do we do with our time? And I want to latch on to two ways that Timothy was to lead his congregation, and I think it has some crossover with you, the way you steward your time. I want to hone in on one phrase in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. This is interesting. He tells Timothy, he says, do the work of of an evangelist. I mean, maybe we don't think of pastors as evangelists, but in the midst of all his exhortations of what he's supposed to do with the church, he like pauses like, hey, Timothy, by the way, do the work of an evangelist. And I think the crossover to us is, is obvious that there is to be this doing the work of an evangelist. The love of God was not just for you. God loves you and sent his son for you to reconcile you to himself. That gospel message is not supposed to terminate on you. That Jesus Christ was bearing the wrath of God in your place. Now you can have a relationship with God forever. It's wonderful through faith in Jesus. That's just not for you. That's not just supposed to terminate on you. It's actually supposed to be shared with others because God loves them too. And they need to know the reconciling message of Jesus Christ. The question is, why don't we share our faith? Why don't we tell others about Christ as much as we should be? Why, why is that? And, and I don't think it's because you don't love people. 
So I'm not going to make you feel guilty because I think you do love people. And I actually don't think it's because you don't know what to say. You know what to say. But when it comes down to it, I think you just don't take the time to do it. You have other things you're into, you're distracted by, and you just don't take the time to share Jesus with others. And yet that's being a steward of the gospel. It's caring about others enough who don't know the Lord to tell them about the love of God. But not only was Timothy to share with those who didn't know Jesus and spend some of his time doing that, but if you also notice, he was also to spend his time investing in other people, other leaders. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He was to take his time, invest in other leaders and other men, disciple them and train them up to be leaders within the church. He wasn't supposed to do all the preaching, all the teaching, all the leading. He was to continue to invest in other people. And I I think about all the the seniors in here, they're graduating, and the juniors that are following behind them. Both, Both of you two really should be investing in the next generation. You should be investing in the freshmen and the sophomores and telling them about the Lord, teaching them how to walk in the ways of the Lord, how to navigate life. You need to be investing in the next generation. But even within our church, we need to be investing in one another, investing in the next generation. The older people in here should be investing in the younger. Now, let me define old for our church. The old people in here, if you are over 25, you are old. So those who are over 25 should be investing in those who are younger and showing them, okay, this is what it looks like to walk with the Lord, to walk in purity, to to get married. This is what it looks like to have kids. This is what it it looks like to navigate finances. There's got to be some passing on and discipling of the next generation. But what I tend to hear within our church, I hear it from young people, college students, they say, you know what, I, I have no one that wants to invest in me. I have no one that wants to spend their life to silence me. I'm, I'm, I see the old people in the church, but I don't see them wanting to do anything with me. And I, and I push back and I say, okay, what venue are you giving the old people in our church to invest in you? And the student will typically say, well, I come to church on Sunday Well, how's that going for you? You're showing up here on Sunday. If that's all you do, we don't know you. If you want to be invested in by people in this church, you got to do more than just show up on Sunday. You have to show up in an ethos community, and we can give you one thing that campus ministry cannot, and that is old people. Go to an ethos, jump in, and you will sit next to people who are not in your stage of life who can invest in you. That's what we want to be about. One generation entrusting to the other the gospel so they can entrust others. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be about. So it's like God looks at your life. Put this all together. He looks at your life and he goes, okay, I'm going to gift you this way. And it's so, and it's kind of weird how it works out that your gifting is often not like the person next to you. Your interests are totally different. Somebody's really into computers and designing computers, and you have no clue what they're talking about. And yet you have a different gifting. Maybe it's a scientific gifting, and that's, that's where you're, you're firing. You can really do your thing right there. God gave you those gifts. And he also gave you a certain amount of resources. And he's also given you time. 
And he wants you to manage these, steward these for the benefit of others and the glory of God. And the way I want to close up here is, is by giving you something I've given you before. And if it's, if it's a little bit confusing, it's good. It's intended that way. There's supposed to be a lot of overlap to what I'm about to say because I want you to really think about stewarding in these three areas, okay? This comes from Dave Kraft, and he explains this concept. You've heard this before, of comfort zone, gift zone, danger zone. All of us want to function in our gift zone while we're fired. We're doing the thing that we are gifted and called to do. But if we're in our comfort zone, we're, we're a little lazy. We're not pushing ourselves. We're slacking off. We're sleeping until 10.45 in the morning. I don't know. We're just, we're just in this comfort zone. But if we're in the danger zone, we're overreaching too much. Our pride has us just going for areas we don't need to be going for. So take these things, this uh, comfort zone, gift zone, danger zone, and let's connect them to our calling resources and time, all right? Let's do this, okay? Maybe you're a student, maybe you're employed, you're a parent, whatever. You want to be in your gift zone. But some of you have been slacking off at work, slacking off in your calling. I have been slacking off in parenting. I would say that I've done the greatest job ever with my first two kids. I should have stopped right there. But I got four others, and I've been slacking off with them. And I, it, hit me, it hit me several times, particularly yesterday. I'm vacuuming. The four are in there watching TV, and they're like, be quiet. That just tells me that I didn't train them. They should be vacuuming, and I should be watching TV. But I've not trained them, right? I've not been teaching them. I've, I've been slacking off. And I've noticed that, you know, it's even spiritually speaking, you know, that I, we'll do family worship together. We'll memorize some verses. But I'm not investing in them. Like, I, I feel like I'm just kind of neglecting that. And you know there's areas of your life where you're, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're just comfortable when you should be pushing yourself to land in your gift zone. Not, not overreaching, but pushing yourself. Now, take your resources, for example. We need a healthy stretching of giving. Giving, in a sense, should be like by, by faith. And it should be a little risky at times. And we have a deficit in our church right now, but I believe there's plenty of money within our church of those who go here to make up our deficit. But it's going to be people that are stretching beyond their comfort zone into their gift zone. And as you stretch and you give, you don't want to overreach in the sense where you're giving with a bad attitude and you're angry about it. Oh, I'm just going to give. No, that's, that's, that's going into the danger zone. But all of us probably could stretch ourselves with regard to giving to our church, missions, and to the poor, and, and land more in that gifting zone. And the last area has to do with your time. Man, this is the hardest one. I mean, especially for me. I, I'm an introvert uh, to some extent. I, I, I'd be fine holding myself up. Anybody like just to hold yourself up? Yes. Uh, some of you, like, you know, I could just hold myself up and read all day or or watch Netflix all day and just kind of just chill out and be in this comfort zone doing your own thing. And, and yet God's like, no, you need to be with people. You need to invest in people. You need to give them your time. But this is where the extroverts mess it up. The extroverts sometimes just want to be with people all the time. 
Just be, be people around me all the time. When I wake up, I want to see people talking to me all day. And you could be overreaching and overscheduling and burning out. But there's this way we need to be investing in people, caring for them, sharing the gospel with those that know Jesus, and building Christ in others. We need to be stretching ourselves with our time to care for others. What leaf are you painting? Where is your gifting? Where is your calling? How are you leveraging your resources? How are you doing with your time and investing in others? We're not going to be perfect in this life. We're going to live and then we're going to die with unfinished work. But that's okay. If we paint our leaf for the honor and glory of God, our work down here will resound to the praise and honor and glory to God forever. Let's pray. Father, you've given us so much. And we really want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards of who you've created us to be. And for the, for the man or the woman here who's just been lazy, slacking off in school and parenting, job, I just ask that you give them the energy and the strength to push through the semester, to be re-energized, refocus at work, Help them to keep going and persevering and bringing your glory as they work for you and not for man. Lord, help us all to realize that the money and the time you've given us is not our own. You bought us with a price, and may we utilize it and leverage it for your glory and for your praise. Use us in painting this leaf, this gifting, this, this calling you've given us. May we do it all for your praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen.